out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastor. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the band, the King Snakes, because I recently spoke to their frontman and guitarist, songwriter, and singer, very charismatic as well, Daniel Jonanol, who I, um, yes, spoke to, talking about life, love and poetry and all that other groovy stuff. The interesting thing is, and there's been, there's a lot of interesting things, they, the band The King Snakes, have got a new live album that was recorded in 1981, June the 5th in fact. This is titled Live at the Old Waldorf. And this has come out on Liberation Hall Records. This is going to be the interview referred to as the, um, well, no, Daniel has a band called the Camden Cats and has got a prolific and interesting life. And anyway, this is going to, you're going to find out more about it in this interview. So after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Daniel, tell us everything. Tell us now. Oh, yes. Um. Uh, well, my background, I was born in 1959, and uh, uh, I was uh, raised in church. My dad was a Pentecostal church preacher, and my mom played the piano in church. And all the only musical um, background I had was um, uh, church music, because we didn't have TV or radio or records, so I didn't know anything about... Uh, um, world music, apart from church. Yeah. And um, I was very interested in music since I was five. I wanted to play the guitar. I started playing at nine. <coughs> and um, took some classical lessons. But um, it was very frustrating because my teacher was very harsh and, and uh, showing me scales, how to position my body, blah, blah, blah and uh, not teaching me any tune. So I almost gave up, even though I wanted to play the guitar so bad. Then I got another teacher who taught me the basic chords. He was from Argentina. And um, he um, taught me the basic chords and the basic rhythms that he knew, which is waltz and tango, paso doble. So uh, I had uh, music theory lessons, but I never really um, grasped to it. And um, so I was accompanying hymns in church. And then when I was 12, I went, came to England on holiday for the first time. I didn't speak English then. And uh, for the first time I heard rock and roll and I heard little Richard singing Tweety Fruity. <laughs> And I thought it was English, a one bambaloo bambalam bam boom. And that changed my life. Uh, I came back to France with a, a quiff, an electric guitar, and an attitude. Plus, I was <laughs> starting to be a teenager. Yes. So I got expelled of all the schools, you know, I'm going to be a rock and roll star, blah, blah, blah. You know. Yeah. Did you, did your, were your parents just very focused and very fixated on the church? Was that their life? Yeah. Yes. And what part of, um, was it France you grew up in? Yes. What part of France was, was this? I was born in Marseille by my dad, dad when I was five. And um, my mom remarried and we moved to Geneva, Switzerland. So I was pretty much raised in Geneva all around the area. Yes. And, um, so, yeah, my, my second dad uh, was not as strict as my first dad. And uh, so they kind of allowed me and actually helped me, encouraged me, you know, bought me guitars and, and, uh, but I mean, they were a bit, um, um, how do you say, scared. What is it, what are you going to do in life? Especially in Switzerland, you know, it's not known for rock and roll. No, no, absolutely. And what so, was it like? I mean, going from France, one country to Switzerland, you know, this was in the sort of uh, very early, yeah, this was the mid, early to mid sixties. Yes. What was that like for you? Did you sort of feel quite alienated? Oh yeah. 
yeah and um plus in school everybody had long hair i had like hair like i have now so i was like considered as a freak a bit but uh so from little richard i quickly discovered chuck berry uh, elvis and the stones um um the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix was a big influence for me. And then punk rock happened. Yes. So all the guys who had long hair cut their hair and now was considered as a pioneer because I was in the first punk band in Geneva in 76. Yes. And, and did you and did you have any brothers or sisters that had any influence on you or were you a only child? No, I have a sister, uh, but we're very different. You know, she's very... Um, you know, a bit like my parents, you know, like working in the bank and stuff like that. You know? Right. They were serious. They were serious dudes. Yeah. They had, they've got to put more, a pension but, plan, I haven't mean, they? They had a good relationship with her and my parents, but we just don't really click on the same thing. But my mom had, <coughs> she was a, sorry, <coughs> she was a, a very natural entertainer, you know, since I was a kid, we all go to all, go to all these weddings and she, she loves to party and, and always put me on the table and ask me to sing a song or tell a joke you know so right we knew anything like stage fright <laughs> <laughs> because it's interesting because because obviously lemmy from motorhead and david bowie who i think were born 1947 they always would say you know when asked that question your you know musical influence and they'd always say little richard and then elvis and eddie cochran and buddy buddy holly yeah. so it's interesting that you're 10 years 10 years younger just over that you have little richard as your sort of moment that it all changes and um that 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 sort of is is quite something and also john peel the radio dj from the uk mentions that moment of seeing little richard and then elvis he just said you know nothing prepares you for you know prepared you for it so i guess you having your 60s being quite sort of you know in the church had a similar like shock yeah yeah i think that's what it is and um i mean of course i'm i'm not um only focused on 50s music you know even though it's it seems to be my mainly my style, but I mean, I, I, as I said, I do, I do like David Bowie, I do like uh, Jimi Hendrix, and you know, I like. Uh, I think being a musician, you've got to be open-minded, anyway. Yes, absolutely. And then what happens? To, you know, you're at that perfect age with punk, but you're in Switzerland. So, what was your first punk band? We're called the Slam, and uh, we did three gigs. <laughs> And the last gig we did a song and a half, and we were trashed uh, with beer bottles by five thousand people. Right, is... that went that went down well. So then, when when you got to sixteen, because this is the age, you know, especially in those days, people left school. I mean, very rare to go to A levels and then to university. What happened to you at that that age? Did you sort of um, hit the road or get a job or? No, well, I tried to get a job. Well, my my mom got me a job in Swiss bank as an apprentice, but my heart was, um, since I was 12, I knew what I wanted to do. So that's why I got kicked out of all the schools. So, uh, that didn't last long either. I, I was supposed to do an apprenticeship for three years. I did one year, then they sacked me because I was jiving on the desks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's never going to happen. Then I had it? a few odd jobs um that never lasted and um and obviously the music didn't pay you know uh money wise but i was living at my parents and then when i was 18 i got i fell in love with this uh american girl who was um studying cello in uh, switzerland with one of the top cellos in the world Jean-Pierre fournier i don't know if you've heard of him no but i have come across a few americans who went and studied in Europe and studied with various kind of um, colleges. Yeah, and she was, um, she uh, uh, at that time she joined the Kronos Quartet. I don't know if you heard of them. The Kronos Quartet? Kronos. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because I think um, we all tried to like them in the 80s and struggled. But I know Elvis Costello did an album with them, didn't he? In the, yeah, they were the famous. And They're very mainly famous. Contemporary music. Yes, yes, I wanted to like them because, you know, I was probably quite trying to be quite pretentious, but 
you know, Jan Garbrick, all those. Oh, right. So she was part of the Cronus Quartet. Yeah, for many years. So that's why I moved to San Francisco, because they were based in San Francisco. So when I was 18, I moved to San Francisco. Blimey, that is very exciting. You're getting around. So what was that like, the scene in San Francisco? Because obviously it has well, a big reputation. So before, before I left uh, Geneva, um, then I started another band, another kind of punk band. And uh, we did, uh, uh, we supported Robert Gordon with Link Ray. Right. And um, and that drove me right back to roots rock and roll because in a few years I went from fifties rock and roll, exploring blues, Jimi Hendrix, the Stones, all that punk rock, but then that drew me right back to to rock and roll, like you know more fifties like. Yes. So when I went to San Francisco. I was determined to, and that's when I, because I was just a, mainly a guitarist uh, in my first band, um, then I started to sing more. And uh, I wanted to start a band. But it took me a year and a half before finding the right guys, which is Kingsnakes. Yes. And uh, I tried many musicians. Either they, were, they could play, but they were too busy. Or, or they were wild, but they couldn't play. <laughs> <laughs> yes, tricky one. Yes, because in the UK there was this other band who um, called the Rock Rockettes, Levi and the Rockettes with yes, Levi Dexter. Them in and um, and obviously there was Smutty Smith on bass, and eventually uh, various other people. A guy called, I think he was in the band for a while, Tim Scott McConnell, who was. Um, in the Havelinas as well, and has now gone by the name of uh, Leadfoot, who's still alive somewhere. Yes, yeah, so rocker, I mean, rockabilly was slightly, I mean, slight, I say slightly, because in New York it was quite big, because you only had the Stray Cats, who then in yeah. the 80s are, like, number one everywhere, aren't they? So what was what was it like for you trying to make a rockabilly band in California? Well, um, it was very hard. I mean, there was... I mean, the Stray Cats, I believe, started a little bit after us. Um, we started in 1980. I think it was spring 1980. And there was, um, apart from the Flaming Groovies, whom I was friends with, I was the guitar tech, actually, and, and I was Chris Wilson, the lead singer, I was his flatmate. Mm. Um, uh, well, they were rock and roll. Then there was Roy Loney, who... You know Roy Loney, who was the original singer of the Flaming Groovies. No, I don't know the names actually. I just know Shake Some Action. I'm a bit yeah. of a great, bit of a great yeah, person here. Shake Some Action <laughs> is with the second singer, Chris Wilson. Yes. Right. Yes. So Before, that 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 was a huge record, wasn't it? I mean, it was pop perfection. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's what made them famous, really. Yes. And, um, so there was very. Most, I mean, there was millions of bands in the Bay Area, but most of them, they played punk rock, most of them badly, I thought, or or they played like heavy metal. But there was not really any rock and roll band. But the Blasters from Los Angeles, that we did a gig with them once in San Francisco, they were what I think were rock and roll. I don't know if you know the Blasters. I've come across the name because I've been, I just did an interview. The ones who wrote uh, Marie Marie. Right. They were just, I mean, I'm trying to get my head around the LA punk scene at the moment. There's just, I did an um, interview with Alice Bagg last week. So um, she sort of threw all these names at me. I, I'm slightly getting confused which ones are from LA and which ones are from New York. Like bands like the Germs and the Mumps, but they, I have no idea. Geographically, I'm a bit I lost. Think the in Nuns it. were from San Francisco. Right. The Mumps. Yeah. That was with, um, Lance Loud and um, yeah, Christian Hoffman. So um, yes, it was kind. Of, I suppose with San Francisco during the late sixties, early seventies, there was a lot of theatre companies as well, weren't they? Who were pretty way out and far out 
you know, like the coquettes. No, the coquettes. Um, coquettes, that's the one. Yeah. So there was that kind of theatrical side of San Francisco, wasn't there as well? Did you pick up on that at all? Or were you just straight down on the music front? I just wondered what the artistic community was like. No, I was, we were more like, uh, we were rough and ready. I mean, it was a weird combination of people, this band. But when we first played, when we first jammed in a, a rehearsing studio, it was like um, we've been playing together for 20 years. You know, it was this incredible chemistry. Yes. And, um, but also the drummer was, who's unfortunately passed away now. Uh, he was much older than me. I was about, about 20 years old. He was 35. He was a heavy alcoholic. So he used to force us to drink because his motto was, um, I don't trust anybody in my band who can't take a drink. Right. <laughs> when we go on tour, they're going to collapse. So it was like a catch-22 situation. You had to get drunk, but you couldn't use it as an excuse to fuck up. Yeah, tricky one. Is that Danny? Was that Danny him? Yeah. Yeah. So he was a founding member of the Flaming Groovies as well, didn't he? Yeah, he's the original drummer. Crikey. And he's an he was an incredible drummer and musician. You know, not just a drummer. He taught me a lot about records and, you know, listen to this. You can't really hear it, but that little riff in, in the background, that's what makes a song unique, you know, stuff like that. Yes. And um, and we were three guitars and a bass, like really loud. And you could, you would stop in the middle of a song at a rehearsal and say, you out of tune, you know, I mean, not many drummers can do that. No, my God, that was, well, at least you had somebody who was holding it together. Because this was a band which featured, was it James on guitar, Z on bass, Danny drums and Carl on guitar. So that was quite a force, wasn't it? Was this the original lineup? Yes. Yeah. And did you, and did it all sort of, were you all committed and, and, and the chemistry clicked quite, quite quickly? Yes. And, and, and we, I mean, we didn't make hardly any money. Um, we played loads of gigs, but. We like we were quite turbulent and trashing dressing rooms and throwing each other in mirrors and smashing glasses, getting thrown out of clubs where we just played. <laughs> yes, you never, you never play here again. I know. I don't know if you read the booklet. You know, little but bits of it. Like, yes, it was. Well, I suppose in those days it was. People used to say it was. You know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, didn't they? So. um I think they've had to be a bit careful now because that was probably probably a few illegal things being done. I think you know people said you know stop going on like the sex bit, you know. Um, yes, anyway, but this you've got a new album, haven't you? This is this is one live at the old Waldorf, which you recorded in eighty one. So the band had only been going a couple of years by then. Not not even that. Um, not even a year. Yeah. You was and you were this is the one that you were supporting Robert Gordon as well from. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So can you remember much about this? I mean, because it's only surfaced and it's only been released 2023. So what was, um, yes, what was the kind of, uh, when did this project or this release come come about or when did you think about doing it? Um, well, basically, um, let's say maybe five years ago, the sound man, Terry Hammer, uh, he was the house sound man, uh, recorded us with a us being aware of it uh, from the desk. And uh, so the, the sound is very clean. You can't really feel the audience. You can't really hear the audience much. No. Um, but there was like 2,000 people there. Um, but it's been uh, remixed by Jim Diamond, who uh, also produced um, Seven... Uh, Seventh Army, uh, what is it called? That song by Oh, the White Stripes, Seventh Army. Yeah, yeah, White Stripes, yeah. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so what was it like when you suddenly had something unearthed from 40 years ago? Was that quite a surprise? Yeah, so so first of all, this guy, Terry Hammer, got in touch with me through Facebook and said, I've got this recording. And when I first heard it, I thought, I was shocked because I didn't recognize my voice. My voice changed a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, uh, and I went, wow, you know. And uh, even though the 
the sound was a bit clean in in my in my opinion you still could feel the energy of the band and i thought that was a great thing and i wanted to um, to put it out myself at some point until um arnie from liberation hall uh contacted me and said that he wanted to put it out yes and you went well fill your boots yes That was fantastic, actually, and that's um, so. Has that brought brought you quite a bit of attention? Well, it just came out a couple of weeks ago, I think. Yes, I did because um, but the radio they... playlist of the Canadian radio station, one of the songs, not the not the live album, but the song called "Get Up." I don't know if you've heard it. Yes, so this is the bonus material, isn't it? The final two songs on the album yeah. are bonus sessions. Which yeah. you recorded, yes. So where were they? Um, what studio did you use for? Was it more and then get up? Well, the King thing's been going on for quite a few years with different lineup. At some point, because at some point I moved back to Europe, everybody kind of got dispersed, and um, and uh, so I had other musicians and. The main second lineup was with Manu Chao from Manu Negra. Right, yes. And that was in 1985. And then in 1989, um, so we, we, with the original, more or less the original lineup, we did two albums with New Rose in Paris. I don't know if you know that label. Yes, because they've got a fantastic roster, haven't they? They have got a really good. I mean, whoever runs it is definitely on it, isn't he? Because he's he's got one of my favourite bands called, and also the Trees, which I think, and the Gun Club as well, and the Sonics and the yeah, Saints. Yeah. So, um, yes, Paul Ro- Roland, who I did an interview with the last week. Yes, I know, I do. Yes, yeah, so I have come we across did two it. albums with New Rose. Then we did one album with EMI in Paris. That's when we recorded more yes but your you your first one was like a a mini album wasn't it how tough this was on new rose wasn't it and was this one recorded this was kind of 83 was that with a kind of slightly different lineup recorded in france paris no no it was there was four tracks recorded with the original lineup in san francisco no three tracks sorry yeah or no four 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 in two different studios and there for us there were recordings that been just sitting around there, you know, doing nothing, except for one track that came out on, on a compilation in San Francisco with a lot of San Francisco bands called on Warbride Records. And okay. it was um uh, called Rising Stars of San Francisco. But uh in nineteen eighty three uh, Patrick Maté from New Rose, who was the head of the label, um, wanted to sign us, but we didn't have enough tracks for an album. So at, at that point, we had a different guitarist than James, another French guy, and we did three more, we recorded three more tracks in London. You know, on Denmark Street. Yes, I, I saw where you, yes, that was quite some. See, that was... Um... And were you pleased with the 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 sort of the what he captured on that? Yeah, I mean, more or less. I mean, we did the recordings very fast. You know, the budget was very low, so we didn't have much time to think. But yeah, we were satisfied enough to to put it out. Obviously, yeah. yes. So then, because this is kind of eighty three, which by that point, you know, in a slightly simplistic way, punk, post punk. Then we had sort of I don't know, new Paisley goth. We had new romantics, and then indie pop. So how were you? You were sort of sitting there, kind of. I know the Stray Cats had been about Levi and the mm-hmm. Rock Cats hadn't really taken off. So how did you? Were you just kind of on your own, floating in this sonic soundscape? On you well, know, yeah, because. We're not, so to speak, a true rockabilly band. We're not, so to speak, a true punk band. We we were always kind of a mixture. So we never really fitted in any category apart from being rock and roll, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So um, our audience was always a mixture of rockabillies and punks and 
and and people who actually didn't know anything about anything. Did you get did you get picked up with the psychobilly people like you know who were into the meteor meteors meteors and and well, the is it King gigs. Kurt and um, all those kind of slightly yeah we did play gigs with, with them you know uh, but we we weren't on the psychobilly scene either you know. <laughs> No, you had to be even more. Yes, I mean they were quite outlandish. Yeah. yeah. So when you did round round trip ticket, that was on the new roads as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So that, going to San Francisco. That was recorded yeah. in San Francisco, but the band is doing well at this stage. I mean, because most bands have five years. I mean, you're you're still going well. I mean, I, I granted the lineup is changing again. So when you recorded in '88, you did more. This was on a new label. The lineup has completely changed. Where are you all living at this stage? We were living in Paris at that point. And that's, right. that's the lineup with Manu Chao. But when we did more, Manu Chao just after a year and a half left the band and started his own band, Mano Negra. Yes. But but the rest of the band is his original band. They were called the Hot Pants. Okay, blimey. That is um it's not a great name, is it really? But it's a no. bit 70s. <laughs> hot pants, hot legs. But, but, I think but they, they were a good band. They had a lot of energy and they were fans of the King's Things. They were even covering one of our songs, actually. Yes. Yes. We first met them. So were you because because with a lot of bands I've I've done interviews with interviews with, they've often got a sort of a, a committed audience in some country like Italy or Spain. Mm-hmm. Or in your case, France. Did you did you have any particular country that took you to heart and um, sort of paid your rent? Uh, I don't know about paying my rent because I spent the money <laughs> <laughs> before I make it. But um, uh, yeah, France was obviously a very important place for us because we played everywhere in France. We like from shit halls to big venues. We even played the Olympia supporting Screaming Jay Hawkins, you know. Yes. Well, I've got a spell on you. We love that. Yeah. And and but Spain was in the eighties was a very good country for us. I'm actually the biggest gig we've ever done was in Barcelona in front of a hundred thousand people. Right. A big festival. Yes. So we were did... quite big in Spain at some point. And did you ever sort of suddenly, you know, sort of drift by Vince, people like Vince Taylor, who we all sort of grew to love, mainly for the David Bowie connection and the Clash, you know, brand new Cadillac? Was did he have any sort of influence on you at all? Not really. I mean, I do like brand new Cadillac, but uh, I think most of his records, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think he got used by the business, you know. By the French show business, you know, which is what's quite lame in the seventies, and uh, he he was made of a clown out of, out of, I think, you know, like a parody of of rock, like a, par- a cheap yes. imitation of Gene Vincent, in my opinion. Yes, it was. Um, yeah, he he took too many drugs, really. But then. So what happens to the band, you know, eight, after 88 and more? Did you continue or did that sort of, um, did you have a break at this stage? No. So after more, being on EMI uh, was like when we did more, we had the biggest recording budget we ever had, a big publishing deal as well. But then we had this manager uh, who said, oh, you shouldn't play too much, play less for more money, which actually kind of killed the band a bit, you know, because a band that doesn't play, especially when you live in the same town and you don't play as much, you know, was, you know, it's like they want us to become like these kind of stars or something, you know. Yes. And... um we started arguing with money and all that. So the band split up. And um, I thought, well, I'm going to carry on. So I took some random musicians, you know, who must admit some of them were not very capable. But I carried on for a while. I started my own label as well. And I put a few CDs out, you know. I did the best of the King Snakes. And I did uh, another album. On CD, right? Eva, called what, was the, what, was the, what was the label called? Rock and Roll House. 
Right. Like like the the song uh, that's on the record. Yes. Which, which was written about the house where we lived in San Francisco. We used to rehearse there, and we had these Chinese uh, neighbors that they were complaining because we used to play at night really loud, you know. Yes. Did you not say, look, we are the equivalent of the Grateful Dead? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. They lived in a community. Rock Scully, wasn't it? He was the manager. And um, yes, poor old Rock. So it was called Rock and Roll House. So I did that for a while. And then um, and then in 97, I moved to England. Right. And and was the band still going at this stage? Did the the King Snakes continue? Because you did... Um... No, the, the last gig we did with that lineup was... Uh, was in at the Olympia with Screaming Jay Hawkins. Right, that was it. Was that? And, uh, and then I uh, started from scratch in England. Really, I mean, we had played in England in 1985. We played Dingwalls. Yes. Olympia. And the but, Hope and Anchor. Once we played in 1983. It it has to happen, doesn't it? Really, yes. So has music? Have you just managed then with? So what's the band? So what did you call yourself? That is this the Camden Cats at this stage? Uh, not yet. I had this song uh, that's recorded on my label. It was called Belleville Cat, which <laughs> Belleville is the um, part of Paris where I lived, and which is a rough area. And it's exactly the same song, but uh, when I moved. When I started playing in Camden, especially having that residency in the kebab shop for 12 years. Yes. Um, I changed the title of it, and it's much easier to pronounce. Camden Cat's got more of a ring than Belleville Cat. Yes. Uh, and basically, how you... the same song. Yes, I know. That's, that's uh, yeah, the Camden And Cats. when, when uh, all the people I run into busking on the train and all that, when I Tell them Daniel Jean, no, especially if they're drunk. Daniel Jean, what? Je ne sais quoi. So <laughs> Camden Cat is much easier to remember. Yes. And you, I mean, during that, probably before then, you had met people like your Jerry Lee Lewis and Carl Perkins, hadn't you? Yeah, I met Carl Perkins. I met Jerry Lee a few times, Bo Diddley. Bo Diddley. What was that like? Oh, Bo Diddley was really nice. Uh, we played a we support Chuck Berry four times in San Francisco. Um, and um, 20 years later, uh, with a different lineup, we support him again in France. So, of course, he didn't remember. Um, but uh, Bo Diddley was on the same bill. So we're in the dressing room. And then his band was from New York. And... At first, he was a bit cold. I mean, it was actually the second time I met him because I met him in Geneva before. Yeah, it was it was a very friendly guy, you know, and happy as Larry, you know, <laughs> and clowning around and you know. Yes. Um, but his band said from New York. They said, "Oh yeah, this is this band, the King Things. They're really good," you know. So then he warmed up, you know, and uh, we took this great picture together. Jerry, I met in San Francisco in a dressing room. You know, I was so young and nervous. You know, he was I would imagine his daughter off because she sang before him and she was singing out of tune. And uh, she was in in the corner, and her head down like this, like she'd been really told off. And he had a bottle of whiskey with his cowboy boots on the pool table. And looked at me like, um, what do you want? So I was so nervous. I really wanted to meet him. I didn't know what to say. Say something stupid like, what kind of piano do you play on? He didn't even <laughs> answer. <laughs> and then, so I got this inspiration. I said, oh, by the way, my wife is from Memphis. Because my, my ex-wife from the Kronos Quartet, she's from Memphis. Memphis, that was the magic word. Oh, what part of Memphis? And then he was friendly for a couple of minutes, you know, told him yes. about the things, not that he give a shit probably. And then he said, the killer will talk to you later. 
<laughs> Fuck off. Yes, God, that was um, pretty tough. And then, but you were, you know, at this stage, you know, 80s, everyone's got optimism and, and sort of excitement and enthusiasm, but slightly, but you're, you know, but you go from rock and roll to sort of the, the one of the great funk pop people, Sly Stone. So how did you sort of find yourself sort of with Sly? Because at that stage, was he very together at this point in his life? No, it was very high. Was he? And he got me high too. Was that, <laughs> was that your first time freebasing? Um, it was, uh, it was not the first time, but it was probably one of, the most intense times because it was a house party. We had a f common friend and um, I turned up late at the party. It was a birthday, I think. And there was equipment in in the room and everybody had gone except her because she lived there and him. And there was an organ and a guitar and an amp. And uh, we started jamming and uh, but he was so high, he couldn't concentrate more than 30 seconds on one tune. And he was telling me, gosh, you're great. I want I want to start a band. I want you to be in my band. <laughs> you know? And um, and the thing, the funny thing is, I didn't at the time, I didn't really realize who Sly Stone was, you know, right. how famous he was. So it was like totally natural. And I was a bit high myself, you know. Um, but that was a great experience. But I always loved, um, I mean, I love rock and roll, but I always loved soul music. I love Wilson Pickett. I love James Brown. You know, I love this min um, minimalistic. Yes. Minimalistic. Yes. I know uh, just read in. Yeah. You know, not guitar solos always, you know, and, you know, that kind of hypnotic, kind of repetitive kind of riffs, you know, and um, and I can play that kind of stuff too, you know, and that's probably what he liked. Yes. So there you go. Was that just the one time with Sly Stone and his wife? Yeah, yeah. God, what a moment. That was amazing. That was fantastic. Yes. So when you got, I mean, obviously, trying, being young, being in a band and being married, it's not it's not going to end well is it really it's going to be a bit tricky to 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 juggle those ones so did they did the marriage finish as well oh yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, a few others <laughs> <laughs> yes this is true so then I'm, back I'm at, my, I'm at my fourth now oh well that's okay that's not that's not too bad for showbiz isn't it i think sheila sheena easton is on her like seventh so um I tell you, if she if she have a, is single and wants to marry me, I'm gonna say no because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> she probably will kill me. But look, ninety so ninety seven, you're back in London and busking. So at this point, you know how mm -hmm. what's life like? You know, because obviously you've been in the music world for sort of nearly I don't know two decades at this point. Yeah, how, yeah. how do you sort of manage to keep this going? Well, because. Um... At some point, my my third wife in Paris, when, yes. when when the band split up, EMI, and I was obviously very depressed, you know, because you think you're gonna make it, and then boom. Yes. So, and she's working, you know, she's paying most of the bills, so it's like pressuring me, like get a job, get a job, and I'm thinking, no, you know, I've tried that, you know, it's not me. So I thought, I'm going to swallow my pride and start busking. So I started busking in Paris, in not on not on the underground, but um, in cafes, in restaurants, you know. And um, and it went really good, you know. And uh, at first it was hard because I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm a beggar now. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, then I thought, you know what, all the great blues guys that I admire, they've been busking themselves. Who am I to to think I'm so fucking shit hot not to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, and I got used to it. And uh, I made, you know, some decent money out of it and had great fun doing it, you know? Plus, you don't have the pressure of a band or a manager or... 
a sound man. You know, yes, I know this is much for this stuff, you know. And um and I actually quite enjoy it, you know, now. I mean Yes. And did... I do a mixture of, you know, I am still doing it, but uh I'm also um I'm also playing gigs. I, I played six times in Ukraine. Uh, last time was two thousand twenty and then the COVID happened. Yes. Weeks ago I played in Serbia and Montenegro with the local band there. Yeah. Learn and did you and did you get a residency at Marathon as well, which was the, the French Foreign Legion of Rock and Roll? Was this... Yeah, the Marathon is a kebab shop uh, opposite the roundhouse. Right. And uh, but there's a back room there where people could drink till four in the morning. In those days, the pub shut at 11 or 12. So everybody went there, especially since I started playing there because I lived upstairs and I played for 12 years almost every night. So at first it was really rough. I mean, I, was, I played, if you think the Blues Brothers, you know. Yes. <laughs> you know, I didn't have the chicken wire, you know, and uh, no stage or anything. <laughs> And it was a small place, and it was a real proper honky-tonk. There was a mixture of rock stars going there, music lovers, tourists, drug addicts, gangs, you name it. Yes. Yeah, sounds like Taxi Driver, doesn't it, really? <laughs> yeah, it was a mad place, but it made my reputation in London, you know. Yes, I would imagine. Is this where Jack White meets you? Yeah, Amy Winehouse, Robert Plant, uh, Oasis, you know, you name it. I mean, Jose Feliciano, Jam with him. Paul Weller. Uh, Paul Weller. Yes, that's fantastic. But then, obviously, it gets shut down by the local council. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but then... so Good then always last, do they? <laughs> well, I know. It's, it's, it's kind of um, slightly... Uh, I don't know. I would say naive to think anything's going to stay the same, really, even though we look back on certain periods with great nostalgia, you realize I think five years, actually, five years is very good. Three years is normally when a scene is particularly good and then it gets a mm. bit sort of messy and grubby and just basically. But 12 rubbish. years is quite an achievement, especially that nobody hit me even accidentally. No. <laughs> and I've been playing through everybody's fighting. So I'm playing even faster, and glasses are whizzing by my head. You know. Yeah, well, it, it keeps it keeps you keeps you sober, doesn't it? So, but you did an album, didn't you, in 2011? This was a solo album. Yeah, and that's the one where "Get Up" was recorded. Right, I got it. The opening track, actually, this is the one with um, "Welcome Back, Johnny Be Good," "Women yeah. Drive Me Crazy," "Shake." Rattle and roll. Yeah. So was this one recorded? This is with a with this with this a kind of a makeshift band you put together for this? Yeah, because at, at that point I hadn't played with a band for years. And I'm so used to uh I'm playing every night in a right state most of the time, but I'm, I'm playing every night. I can play without looking at my guitar or I can talk to someone, you know, when you do it so much. I'm like a rock and roll machine at this point. And on my own, I can make people dance. Yes. And um, and I'm thinking, I don't need a band, you know. Not that I didn't want to, but you, I got caught in this kind of um, cycle. And, um, and I especially don't need a band if they're not going to be that good, you know, because I, I think I've had one, one of the greatest bands you know, in that genre music that I don't want to go back to having a mediocre band. Yeah, quite. And and plus, at this point, I'm, I'm the king of Camden, don't forget. <laughs> and this I'm is French. true. Yes. That's quite the... an you tell... We even played in the House of Parliament <laughs> once. Yeah. Oh, excellent. I bet the um, but you had some nice alcohol there. So just, just going back slightly, basically... Oh, this month actually, May. You, you, and the Androids. You have a, a four-day gig, a four-day tour, Serbia and Montenegro tour. Yeah. Who, how did this come about? Because it's quite um, 
I would imagine the visa as an admin must be quite interesting at this stage. It was uh, uh, this guy, Andrea Babovic, is, is a musician himself. And um, he liked uh, my music through Facebook, got in touch with me uh, actually before the COVID and or tried to organize that, but then it all went AWOL because of the COVID. Yes. And then uh, finally organized it again. And um, it was, it, so we put a band together for me, did all my songs, we did one rehearsal and it went quite good. I mean, we played small venues, but we might go back for some festivals, you know, because people really enjoyed it, you know, like people said, uh, oh, we don't really have that kind of music here, even though they kind of know it. Yes. But nobody plays that kind of music live anymore. They try to be clever, you know, they <laughs> like they try to, they either really heavy or, do you know what I mean? But yeah. nobody dares to play Johnny Be Good anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think you have to. So with that particular band you had, were these the music, local musicians in, yeah. in, in that sort of area? So you just had to get together the day before and quickly whiz through the songs? Mm -hmm. Even the, even though they, they learned the songs beforehand, you know, I sent them some originals. We didn't do only covers, you know. Yes, there you go. That's fantastic. And being a musician, is it just the, la the language of music that you can just go, right, that's it, guys, we're rocking? Yeah, yeah, and and it's and that's great too. I've done the same in Ukraine with some uh, local bands there. You know, Ukraine, some places where they've never seen live rock and roll before. No, and you must but, be. I mean, have you become a, a something of a cult artist? I mean, there's quite a few people now who've got the the look, the experience, the decades playing. You know, the stories. I mean, have, have people started to sort of have you started to appear on more people's radar? I guess, but uh, it's, it's it's not for me to say. I don't see myself as that. But uh, but I, I suppose when you survived, <laughs> <laughs> what was the closest you've come to dying? Gosh, I don't know. I've been pretty fucked up a few times, yeah, but um, not really to the point where I was rushed to hospital. Or... No. 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 Did you manage to sort of avoid anything too heavy on the addiction front, or was that always a bit of an issue? Uh, it was a bit of an issue. I mean, I did a lot of crack. I never liked heroin, so maybe that's what kind of saved me. Yes. And I, and I still believe in God as well. So, and music is my, to be honest, music is my, is my biggest high. You know, if, yes. if I'm on tour or if I'm playing gigs, especially with people that I like playing with, um, you know, to me, that's, that's my biggest high. Yes. Like, I could imagine. It's so good. What did your parents think as they saw you? Well, not your parents, but your, your stepfather and mother, as as you sort of stepped away from the bank during your eighties and nineties, did they did they follow your career at this stage? Oh yeah, my mother was a big fan. She died a few years ago. Right. But, oh, she was <laughs> my biggest <laughs> fan, probably. Oh, that's when fantastic. The first album came out. She's managed to sell eighty albums of How Tough to her bank colleagues in Geneva who obviously are not um, basically rock and roll fans. <laughs> yeah. But was, you, you can say no to my mom. No, there you go. So look, looking forward then, what have you, you've got the Camden Cats. Do you have any kind of more dates, live dates coming up and, and possible recordings? Well, we're, do, we're doing, um, we got a, an album that's been recorded in 2017. And one of them, one of the tracks is called Rock and Roll Tsar, which is kind of a, kind of a half, you know, like the song Meanwhile Back in the Jungle, Meanwhile Back in the States. Yes. So it's a bit like you got that Russian kind of whole, uh, uh, sound, la, 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 and then 
here come the rock and roll, rock and roll, John. Like, so that's going to be a strong tune. We played it in Serbia, actually, and they loved it, right? Yes. And, um, and the whole album is really good. It hasn't come out yet. But first, we're going to try to concentrate on promoting this one, you know. And um, so we got that. And the Camden Cats are, we got two kids. I mean, kids. He's 33 now, the double bass player, but he was 14 when I first met him. And when we called, he plays double bass. When we played Get Up, uh, he's the one who plays on Get Up album. And the drummer's 24, really good drummer. And um, we got one gig. We were supposed to play for the coronation in Worthing, but it got yeah. canceled by the, by the council, you know no authorization for live music you know yes we got a gig with a um a gang called the bum biters mm. we were rock and roll fans and a bit like the hell's angels yes uh, I, I, won't, but, but I won't not not quite you know not really a motorcycle club they're just rock and roll fans right and did you say that the, they were called the bum biters yeah again so that's in Car. I never can pronounce the name Carston, Carston, in uh, Surrey, South London. Right. In the clubhouse every Sunday, they they do um, they do uh, they organize a gig, you know, with rock and roll bands. Yes. And we're playing there on the 18th of June. But uh, apart from that, we don't really have anything planned in the UK at the moment. You know, I might go back to Serbia, Croatia, maybe as well. Yes. Maybe Benelux. Uh, but it's all a project at the moment. We don't really have anything organized. You know. Yes. Well, there you go. I mean, if you could have whispered at something to your 16-year-old self, some sort of bit of worldly advice or some sort of top tip was there anything particular you might have said oh yes there's this i would have done this or i would focus on that thing i just wonder if there was anything particularly you might have um told your 16 year old self even if that person would have ignored your advice you mean if i could do it over again yeah i suppose if you you know if, if you yeah i mean if you just i mean it's a bit hypothetical but you know what you would tell your younger self starting out from all the decades of experience and um, and life's merry highways, I don't know. Um, I think um, I mean, of course, very often in my career, so to speak, um, I forgot the name of important people, so to speak, <laughs> and uh, that probably didn't served me well you know uh and i said fuck you to some people who uh, for example said in france uh, we're gonna sign you up if you guys sing in french i said fuck you you know because uh, i do what i feel you know and that i don't regret you know no uh danny our drummer used to say if you think you're gonna make money playing music most of the time you're wrong so you might as well don't compromise and enjoy it, you know, no compromission at all. So in that respect, I don't have any regret at all because, um, you know, I did what I did and and at least I can re-listen to most of my old records and still enjoy it and not thinking, oh, gosh, I've sold out, you know. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. No, there's some, um, I mean, the 80s was always a bit tricky because that production, some of the production at that time was a bit sort of um, yeah. high reverb. And and with the... But with the, live, you know, is another story. Yes. It was a, that, that's the hardest thing on a record is to, and that's what most bands try to do is capture that live feeling. And that's the hardest thing to do in the studio. Yes, that's tricky. I know. I know that's a struggle, isn't it? And do you keep it? Are there many from from those early days members of the band's different lineups that you've kept in touch with? Or oh yeah, keep... oh yeah, we're still good, great friends. 
Yeah. Are most of them still alive, or apart from Danny? Well, unfortunately, on on the original lineup of the King Snakes, uh, Danny died, the drummer, and uh, Jose the Zay died in a car crash in the eighties. You know, he was a maniac. We were maniacs. We're racing cars in San Francisco like like in Bullet. You know. Yes. Oh yes, all rebel without a cause. Yes, yeah. You weren't you weren't racing at the time when he died, were you? No, no, he no, he, he died in Portugal on, on the road, you know. He, I think he tried to pass a truck and apparently the roads in Portugal are really bad as well and he was a crazy driver. Yes, well. But he was like one of the nicest guys, you know, one of the funniest as well. He looked like Maradona a bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy so he was on how tough was he yeah what did he also play on um round trip ticket no he couldn't make it so we had to have another bass player replace oh, him right so michael was the one who took over on bass on that yeah and and you can tell the difference uh, you know and jose was like really it was he had that big sound Simple notes, but full on, you know. Yes. There no prisoners. <laughs> yeah. So was that Jose Morit? Jose Moita. Moita. Yes. I know. I'm gonna, Portuguese I'm gonna... originally, yeah. but lived in America. I mean, it was a multicultural band, wasn't it? And um, yes. And just just so that I don't completely cock it up, how do you pronounce your surname? Jean Renault. Jean Renault. Jean Renault. I will I will practice that and um and yes hope and oh yeah just and for the for for people listening um yeah if there was the one record that you think yes you really recommend to listen to out of what you've done is there any one particular album you you know you you're fondest of well um uh, I really like how tough obviously run trip ticket not all the songs but most of them more i like the song i don't like the production of it too much but it's a great song i mean we played that song in brazil and it was insane you know right uh but the song is funny it's uh it's really stupid or it's funny it just came out of nowhere you know <laughs> you know we started rehearsing and the guitarist started to riff and and then everybody started playing and then I'm singing, I want more, I don't know why. And then it became the main song of the album, which wasn't planned at all. You know? <laughs> yes, classic moments in the studio. Yeah, amazing. Well, look, that has been fantastic. Thank you ever so much for your time. This has been brilliant. And um, big thank you to Randy for helping sort this out, actually. And your yeah. iPod, I think you're, you're, are you talking on an iPod pad, iPod? It's it's a tablet. Uh, tablet. Yeah. The magic of Zoom. There you go. We've done it. This is good. I know there was a bit. Yeah, of ex- yeah. I, I was struggling because I don't do Zoom very often. No. But so actually, what, what Randy didn't really tell me. Is it a radio station or? Yes, and a podcast. So I'll, if you want, I will send. Randy will um want a copy of it. So when I send it to you, I'm sure he'll. Oh no, and I can. I've got your email address, so I can send it, and you can always put it on your facebook page and people can mm-hmm. listen and go oh this is magic so yes i will put it up and next where week are you based, by the way i'm in norwich in the uk okay all right i don't know if you ever come to norwich or ipswich no right? no i've played in uh, i've played in newcastle i've played a, a bit uh, in doncaster <laughs> uh liverpool uh but not many places. i played in ireland but no never been to norwich not it's norwich nice to- it's lovely. It's a very sweet little place. So, um, yeah, it's it's all good. It's I mean, there's a lot of kind of um, little clubs and stuff there, but um, yeah, it's nice. It's got a lot of castles and loads of churches. It's big on churches. So, are you going to edit it, or or are you uh, going to? Well, there might be bits, but generally, it sounds fantastic. So, I'm so pleased with it. It'll be fantastic. So, um, and yes. uh, it's not uh, too noisy. No, it's fine. No. No. People in the garden. <laughs> oh, I mean, no, it's good. 
I could hear. No, it's it's actually quality wise, it's been brilliant. So um, yeah, well, thank you for this. This has been fantastic. Well, and thank um, you for having me. Yeah. No, it's good. It's and been uh, nice meeting you, and I hope uh, we meet in real life sometimes. Definitely, the Camden cats. Yeah, feed me, and I won't scratch. <laughs> <laughs> And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. Apart, apart from a little bit of casual chat right at the very end, but um, I think we'll edit it there. A massive thank you, as always, to the Camden Cat, a.k.a. Daniel Janino, who I probably mispronounced his surname slightly, but anyway, that is the King Snakes, and uh, I'll put the link below in the notes. The live album, which has uh, come out on Liberation Hall Records, is titled Live at the Old Waldorf. And that was recorded on the 5th of June, 1981. So anyway, that's it. This has been the C86 Show, David E. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. Keep it positive and groovy, please. And also, yeah, all these have been archived interviews, that is. Find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam, it's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.